0: Hello, and welcome to episode 73 of Your New Puppies podcast. I'm Debbie, and today we are going to hear from a very special guest, Christine Roloff Gossinger. So, Christine and I know each other because we trained under the same mentor, Fernando Camacho, and which also means that we both live in North Jersey. So, when I saw that she had written a book, called dog breed guide for kids, 50 essential dog breeds to know and love with fun facts and tips for care. I know I wanted to bring her on to the podcast because way back when on episode two, I talk about what type of dog is right for you. And I talk about doing some research, making sure that you're getting the right dog. And when we think about that, we always think about breeds because dogs were always bred for a certain job. And it helps to know that when we are then interacting, dealing with training and raising our puppies. So we're going to talk about how to use what we know about these different breeds to help us have a better relationship with our dog. So this is going to be great if you're preparing for your dog, if you're still trying to figure out which dog is right for you. Maybe you already have your dog, and you want to know what are some extra things that we can do to improve the relationship, improve their behavior, and make sure that they're feeling fulfilled with the activities and enrichment we give them. She gives us lots of great examples and little fun tips throughout the entire episode. Excited for you to hear. So let's dive right on in. So welcome, Christine. I'm so happy that you were able to join me today and talk about the importance of the different characteristics of different dog breeds. And hopefully we get to learn a lot from you today. Oh, thank you for having me.
1: I'm so excited
0: to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So start off and just let us know, like, what's your story? Like, how did you get into dog training? Like, what brought you to this moment today? And it's funny that you say that, because I think
1: most people that end up in this field Maybe not necessarily planned to be, but it kind of evolved over time because you start out as this animal lover and you realize you want to do something in the animal world and you're not sure what it is and you kind of dabble and then you fall into this. Um, I was always an animal lover, of course, and had my fair share of corporate jobs that were very unfulfilling. Um, And then what happened was I was at a corporate job and a friend of mine needed a pet sitter for her dog. She traveled often and I just started pet sitting. And it was something that just resonated with me and brought me back to when I was four years old and wanted to be a vet and had, you know, 10 different pets. And I realized I have to just leave the corporate world. And this is my passion. And I started my own dog walking pet sitting business, um, which was amazing. I met so many different families, different dogs. I really became part of their family. Um, But I was always interested in the behavior aspect. And so initially, I just wanted to be a better dog walker and pet sitter and have that training component to understand the dogs that I was watching. So I educated myself as much as I could. And then I went off to the Animal Behavior College, got certified through them. That gave me a nice foundation, but I still felt that I needed more. And I came in contact with Fernando Camacho, a very... Um, well-known trainer, behaviorist in our area. And we would collaborate on different jobs where I would bring him in or he would bring me in. And I did the apprenticeship with him to get more education in the behavior aspect and really the why dogs were doing something. And it really, it, it just sparked this endless curiosity in me that I just wanted to do more. I was still pet sitting. And then of course, COVID happened. And the, yeah. really, right? So there's no need for pet sitting in everybody's home. But what happened was all of these people, and you might have found this yourself, either went out and got a puppy and they didn't know what to do with them. Or all of a sudden they were home with their dogs and they're like, oh, I never realized my dog did this. <laughs> Let me call, right? Let yeah. me call a trainer. So because I had been in the field for so long, just even pet sitting and knowing different trainers, they were just... Overflowing with clients. And so I started inquiring whether they needed anyone to come on board. And so I started working with a woman that did daycare in her home, uh, doing day training. And then I also found a daycare closer to my apartment where they do doggy daycare, but then also puppy kindergarten. So I started working for both of them. Uh, About a year later, my mentor, Fern, all of a sudden needed someone to come work for him and I hopped on board and I've been working with him for maybe six months now. And it's oh. incredibly fulfilling. Um, I do love the daycare, but that's more one-on-one with the dog and teaching basic commands. My real passion is going out to private clients in their homes and really training them or working with them to better understand their furry companion so they can have a more harmonious relationship. So in a very long-winded way, that's kind of my story of how I landed here.
0: <laughs> you know what? It's funny because it sounds very familiar. Anybody who's listening now is like, wait, who's talking, Debbie or Christine? Because right? your story is so similar to mine. And and I that's why I'm like, I knew we would get along. I mean, we both Absolutely. trained under Fern. So we both have the same type of philosophies. And yeah. I left the corporate world to become a pet sitter and then became a trainer. So there you go. Right, And it really is. It's, it's funny. It is like a natural progression,
1: right? Because yeah. you're caring for these animals, but you want to get into like, oh, why do they do that? Or this isn't really working and they seem stressed. Or you, Or now, of course, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the conversation, so many behavior problems that really probably didn't exist 25, 30 years ago. And we live in a different world and they're popping up everywhere.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like not maybe, well, yes, they didn't exist, but our relationship with dogs have changed. Absolutely. You know, like I live on a farm where it's like, um, nope, dogs are working dogs. They live outside. They're used to hunt and protect the yard. That's it. And now they live in our homes. So the little behavior problems are more of a problem because, well, it's our home. exactly and they're really also a
1: fish out of water because they were bred and we'll get into this more but they were bred for a very specific purpose that is really you know depending on the breed really isn't overly compatible with this sedentary busy lifestyle that we lead now but we want them to be a part of and just acclimate
0: automatically yes and you know what that's perfect And that's, um, that leads us into what we're going to talk about, right? Because your book, Dog Breed Guide for Kids, 50 Essential Dog Breeds to Know and Love with Fun Facts and Tips and Care. um, Why, like, talks about all of this,
1: right? Yes, yes. I mean, and of course, it's, it's not just for children, even though it's directed to a target audience of you know eight to twelve years old. But I've you know a lot of adults read it, and it's 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 very comprehensive in a way that they can understand as well. Um, but we don't we we delve as deeply as we can in this type of book. But at least it's giving some information that really isn't out there in the way that this is presented. Because a lot of times, even if you go on the web. Um, and you Google a certain breed, they may not necessarily get into all of these specifics, or it's in such a way that the people don't understand what the connotation is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the social media now, you know, whether it's, it's a breeder or whether it's just a, a pet care company, is really marketing the idea of a pet. And any pet you get, it really doesn't matter. It's dog is companion and it's, you can train them to do absolutely anything. And it doesn't matter what breed you get. It's a cookie cutter approach. And that's
0: not how it really is. Right, right. So, so talk to us. Why, why is it important to know the different characteristics of your dog's breed? It's, It's so
1: important because I think, we think of it sometimes and, and and no judgment, no blame, because this is how it's marketed to all of us. Um, we think of it as a one-way relationship. I want a pet dog, I love my pet dog. I, I, I buy hundreds of dollars worth of um, toys and various things for my dog. I obviously love them. that's that's not that's a given. But we don't really understand what their needs are. So in order to really understand what their needs are and have it be a real relationship where the human and the dog have needs that are being met. And sometimes that means a compromise, but at least they're being addressed. You have to know what that breed of dog was bred to do, because even though we may not be using that dog today in the job that it was intended for, we're still breeding that dog that has the DNA to do those things. It doesn't automatically shut off because... Now we want the dog to live in a home with us where we're gone eight hours a day and they're inside. The Mm -hmm. DNA doesn't shut off. It's still there. Right. And I I think that people get blindsided um, when they get these types of dogs because a lot of times we don't, and I say the collectively we, because again, it's no judgment, but I think that oftentimes we pick a dog because of the way that they look. We've seen the breed of dog in a movie, which could be the worst thing for a dog to be in. Right. Um, With yeah. education. Or maybe we had this dog as a pet when we were little and we just have all of this nostalgia and warm feelings towards it. And none of these reasons are wrong if we also know all of the other components and we're prepared to address them. But oftentimes we're not.
0: <laughs> I, I agree. And like it. it I feel like this also applies, like, if you already have your dog at home, if you already have, you know, brought your puppy home to understand these characteristics, so you know how to handle certain behaviors and almost like what type of enrichment to give them to satisfy them and, and kind of, you know, burn that energy that they have. And if you're looking for a dog to understand these breeds characteristics, so you know what is going to truly and honestly fit into your lifestyle. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So on on either spectrum, so I don't want anyone to be listening going, oh, I didn't think to do this before I got the dog. And now I have this dog in front of me. It doesn't matter. There's benefits, whether you're looking for the dog or whether you have the dog now. And like you mentioned, enrichment is so important. It's a relatively new concept, but I think that it's such a brilliant approach. And you know, people have been doing it, I guess, since the seventies or eighties in zoos right? But we never think of dogs as captive animals because they're pets and they're domesticated. So we're not thinking them in terms of, well, they're captive animals. I need to give them enrichment. What does that mean? But it could be something as simple as you know, a herding dog that's bred to work eight hours in the field, moving livestock. And now they're in your home. They still have that DNA. What can I do for them in such a way that Maybe some of those needs are being met in a different way and it's mentally and physically enriching. So yes, I can burn some of the physical energy up, but also I can mentally fulfill you in a way that you're not going to develop all of these, what we all like to label as behavior problems. They're only a problem because they don't fit into our lifestyle. So we need to do something about it so that your dog's needs are being met, but in, in a way that's appropriate for the lifestyle that we have as human
0: beings as well. I love that. I love how you just put that. So I'm hoping that maybe we can get into some specific examples because in your book, in the introduction, you very nicely um, summarize the main like groupings of breeds. Um, If you ever watch like a dog show or something, you you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And maybe give us a few short examples of what you're talking about, like of how to maybe satisfy some of these traits that are in their DNA and and the jobs that they're built for. Sure, of course. So, right. as, As you mentioned, if anyone's watched
1: a dog show, they see that they have seven different groupings. Uh, and, you know, there's breeds within those groupings, and, and they're bred according to, in most cases, what they were bred to do. So there's some similarities. Of, of course, we go into individual breeds and there's some differences. But just as far as the groupings, to make it easier uh, to, to summarize, we have the sporting group, which are all your retrievers, your setters, your spaniels, your pointers. And essentially, they were bred to find flush. Uh, like the cocker spaniel with flush meaning kind of go under brush and move the birds out um, and retrieve these birds, right? So they were bred, perfect example, they were bred to work very closely with the hunters, the human being portion, right? As a team. Mm-hmm. So you'll find there's all the uh, different groupings. If they were bred to take direction from a human being, then say you get that particular breed training, in a traditional sense, perhaps is easier, okay? Because they were bred to look to us for direction, so it seems perfectly natural for them to hone in on us and say, okay, what's next, right? They also, I mean, they have high energy levels, but it's almost easier in a sense to fulfill them because a game of fetch could fulfill a golden retriever's nature of retrieving. So this, there's no surprise that the Labrador Retriever, the Golden Retriever, at the top of the most popular list of breeds year after year after year because of the temperament that they have in working with human beings and the fact that we, some, you know, is within reason, can reasonably fulfill them as well. However, then you get your hound dogs, the hound group, And the hounds basically are grouped into, you have your scent hounds, which they have the powerful nose, the long ears that, you know, as they're walking, they're, you know, flushing the scents up to them like the bloodhounds. And then you have your sight hounds with the sharp vision, like the greyhound and the sleek long bodies that they were bred to find in the catch the game. Okay. But the hounds themselves were bred for. I guess, working with humans, but in a more independent fashion. So they did not need to take as much direction from us. They would go off miles and find the scent, and then they would alert the hunter with that vocalization that people are very familiar with, or probably very <laughs> familiar with, right? So like yes. the beagle, that sound, that baying sound, or that hound sound, which is precisely why hounds are very vocal breeds. There was a purpose and you'll find as you go through different breeds, these characteristics at one time, there was a very practical purpose, especially since if they're going off on their own independently, they need to vocalize because how is the hunter going to find them and find what they've located. Now, if you get a hound, it might be a little more difficult (laughs) to keep training interesting enough for them or keep their attention because they look at us and they go, yeah, I got this. I was bred to work independently. I'm good. Yeah. This is
0: where you get the the stubborn streaks. Right. Right. right? Yeah.
1: People love to to use the word stubborn. And again, languaging is, is so important. And I think as we learn more about dogs, we try to change our language because it, it, you know, when we say stubborn, we're giving a human quality, Mm -hmm. What we're seeing, what we're seeing instead is independence. Okay. Independence. And they're more distracted by sense. All dogs have very keen noses and nose work is important for all breeds, but it's especially important for hounds. So I want to go to a nose work class, or I want to do some enrichment with a snuffle mat. And so they forage, you know, they're using their nose to find things that's going to keep their interest a lot more than sit down instead right you're also going to have to be aware they're vocal right so yes all dogs bark and i'm a big fan of well i don't expect my dog not to bark but under certain circumstances i want it to stop right but i but these are particularly vocal it's a form of communication it's not just my bloodhound is barking for the sake of barking so it is a component in the personality and there are also hounds i always tell people i have a client that has two bloodhounds they are dogs that need layers of protection for them not to wander. They're not the ah. off-leash dog, right? So mm-hmm. when they say, oh, you know, we can train a recall, I said, we can work on recall and do a series of reputations with a high reinforcement history, but they're still a bloodhound, okay? So I want a couple of layers, and sure enough, they have two different barriers, and they had to get another one because one was an escape artist.
0: My sister has a um, a retired greyhound, and oh. it's the same. It's the same thing for her because they, it, which, which, as you mentioned, is a sight hound. If he yep. spots a rabbit, unless there's like three layers, a leash, a fence, and you know, backup, Absolutely. he's gone. He's gone, right? <laughs> and, and his humans right. don't matter, and he is down the street after that rabbit,
1: right? And people are like, they're stubborn. They don't listen to me. And I said, you don't understand. This is an overpowering. We, and I always say that, um, you know, and, and I don't know if you're a fan of Kim Brophy, um, that's come out recently. Yes. Yes. Love her. Right. So I Mm -hmm. think that's a lot of my inspiration for everything that I say in, in the book, um, really taking such a brilliant woman's perspective on this and changing, changing the narrative. But at the end of the day, they're bloodhounds. And we, as human beings, selectively bred them. Like they weren't in mother nature and it just evolved this way. We, we, pr- we just looked honed in and we selectively bred these characteristics that now people get them as pets and they call us and going, you know what? I don't like it now. Can we fix it? And it's like, well, we can work with it, but it's in there, yeah. right? So I think, I think it's just important. So again, it, education is key education is key um so then we have our working dogs and you know historically they probably most of the ancient breeds kind of fall in this group and they were bred to help humans with practical tasks like protecting people protecting livestock uh pulling sleds uh pulling carts so you have your bernese mountain dogs you have your great pyrenees you have um you know your boxers so all of these They can be trained. Yes, they do work with humans. But but to me, what I'm finding with working dogs is that they're the ones now, again, socialization is extremely important, but it's exceptionally important with these breeds because your cute little Great Pyrenees puppy, when it goes through puberty, the DNA is going to kick in and they're going to be cautious of people and things they don't know. So if you're kind of in a chaotic situation and you're not showing leadership, and by leadership, I in no way mean that dominance thing that other people talk about.
0: Yes, I know that. Right?
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, um, you know, as Kim Rofi says, upper management, more like upper management, pet parent, Mm -hmm. upper management, you have to have a lot of management in place and kind of show them, like, hey, I got this and it's under control so they can sit back and they don't feel like they have to step up to the plate. So again, so a lot of times when you go in, my dog is aggressive. Well, what does that mean? It's not necessarily that your dog is aggressive and I don't really believe all, I think that's such, it's not really a character flaw, it's a behavior. Um, If your dog is exhibiting aggressive behavior, it may just be the DNA kicking in and something has to be tweaked in the environment so they don't feel the need for that to come out. Right. So again it's just knowing right and and, mm-hmm. and if you're an introvert and you're don't, you're very uncomfortable with being in a leadership role, then maybe you want to reconsider if you haven't gotten the dog yet and if you do then maybe you want to take a leadership class right <laughs> but there's all things right. you can do and and I'm the first person to say that sometimes I, I have to just get in the zone and again it's 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 really dependent on the dog and it's not that you have to have a strong hand. Or you use anything aversive because I don't believe in that. But I think you have to take a different approach. So right. it's good to know that, right? So then, right, of course, right. we have our, our terriers, right? So we love our terriers. <laughs> we love our terriers. Yes. They, got, they got a lot of spunk, right? So they were bred to hunt small vermin. We have our short-legged varieties like the Jack Russells. that used to burrow underground. And then we have our longer leg like the bull terriers, and they would dig out the vermin. So when you think about it, that's a pretty tough job. You have to be pretty fierce and fearless, right? So these dogs are exactly that. So, you know, they have, and they, again, were bred, if they're going underground, how is their handler going to find them? But they have to have a relentless bark, right? Hey, I'm here. I'm
0: underground. Right, right. Here yes. we are, right? Yes. I mean, um, I think that's the most popular trait that we think of when we think of terriers. Yep. Yeah. Is that bark. That bark. I'm like,
1: oh my God, my dog barks at everything, right? And even mm-hmm. though they put the Yorkshire Terrier in the toy group, which we'll get to, they still have that terrier component. So how many, how many Yorkshire Terriers or Morkies do you come across? Oh my God, my dog barks at everything, right? Yes. Yeah. Maybe so, not the
0: best apartment dog.
1: <laughs> no. Exactly. So again, looking right. at who am I, what are my living circumstances? Um, if I'm in an apartment, like you said, do I really want the dog that, yeah, I can work a little with it, but it's probably going to bark more than another type of dog, right? Right. Because right. it's just built in there. And again, they are relatively independent, right? And they are tenacious because if you're burrowing underground and you're going to find that no what no matter what, you can't be, you know, oh, yeah, no, I couldn't get it. I'll come back out. Like they are, they're in it. Right. So right. again, you just, and, and, and not, and everything that I'm going through, none of these characteristics are inherently good or bad. They are just characteristics that are either a good fit for you or they're not. Right. Exactly. Right. So again, like you have the opportunity to do the research before. Wonderful. You have a leg up. If you already have this dog and you love this dog, of course, at least maybe you can better understand where this is coming from, that you're not gonna label it. I have a bad dog, this is a problem, we need to stop it. Maybe we can work with it. The dog is not doing this to get a rise out of you. The dog is not doing this to be quote unquote bad. This is who this dog is. Let's work with it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Then of course, you have your toy group, your little, they were basically just bred to be lap dogs and companions. Okay, the smaller dogs, the little Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, which I always laugh. I really feel like, and I think I did hear uh, Kim Brophy say this once, everybody gets a bunch of different dogs for a variety of reasons, uh, whether it be the Belgian Malinois or the Australian Shepherd, the Ferrari of dogs. Mm
0: -hmm. But
1: absolutely, with their lifestyle, what they really want is the Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, but they want it in the Belgian Malinois look. (laughs) <laughs> doesn't work that way. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. these little toy, I mean, again, these little toy breeds, some of them are more barky than others, but the biggest thing I find with them is because they were bred to strictly be your companion, then they really want to be with you 24 seven. So the flip side of that is, Ooh, we have to teach this dog how to be alone once in a while and be okay with that, right? So how many separation anxiety or isolation distress cases, right? With these little dogs. Yeah. So, you know, we want to be very um, you know, we we want to cuddle, we want to snuggle, and I want to do that with all my dogs. But we want to be loving and caring. And of course, um, this is a, a big thing with toy breeds is always let's think about if you have a family with little children. Okay. So there is a physical component to that of they're tiny. If you have little kids, maybe that's not the right thing unless you're really going to work with your children because they can get hurt more easily. Um, And then, of course, that that piece of can I teach my dog that it's okay to be alone once in a while and be able to self-soothe and be okay with that. Um, So that's kind of the flip side to that one. Um, But and then, of course, we have our herding dogs, which don't you find every podcast that talks about breeds goes right for the herding dogs and the border collie of, Oh, let's talk about the border (laughs) collie. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's the dog that if I had, if, if all things being equal, like I love border collies, I, I want one, but I know I should never get one because I will never give that dog enough exercise. Right. So I feel the same way. There's so many
1: breeds that I absolutely love. And would love to get, but I know, I know me and my lifestyle and I won't.
0: Yeah. Cause I could barely um, h- keep up with a lab, which is right? also a high energy dog. I'm like a border collie. No, I'm going to admire those from afar. <laughs> it, it, exactly. Right.
1: Cause all these herding breeds now, I, I always tell people this, like picture this border collies DNA, they're out there in the field for about eight hours with, to- with one on one human companionship and they're, and they know there's 500 sheep. When sheep number 398 goes astray, it knows. So when they only have the apartment and your guests come over and your guests sit down and one gets up to go to the bathroom and it all of a sudden tries to herd your guest, that is why. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they're so hypervigilant and they are bred to notice the most minute of environmental change. So in order to, for that dog not to take that out on your guests and various things, we have to give them some enrichment. Whether I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna put in time and I'm gonna take my border collie to agility, or I'm gonna take do a lot of obedience with my dog. I'm gonna give lots of mental exercise. Super super highly intelligent breed. Um, there's that you know the tri ball where it's kind of pushing the ball around and it gives that sense of hurting. Um, but you're gonna have to. Use, this is the dog that's gonna wanna you know, go after your kids when they're running into the backyard and, and kind of nip their ankles like it would sheep. Yeah. So, right. We have to be aware of that. Yes. Everybody loves the romance of getting a border collie and I'm going I'm to teach my dog for like 250 words and we're going to teach them all these tricks and that's great. But it's
0: so much more than that.
1: Yeah. It's and- so
0: easy to train and they thrive on that training, but they need a lot of mental stimulation and physical Absolutely. And they, and they oh. need a
1: job,
0: right? They need a job. Yes. So I me say you can
1: give your dog a job that you feel is appropriate, or you can let them pick their own job and you're not going to be happy. <laughs> right?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: yes. I mean, right. And I have a friend, yeah. she doesn't need a Border Collie. She has an Australian Shepherd, but it's, it's, you know, and there's different types of Australian Shepherd. This one is very Border Collie-esque. Um, with the energy level and the intelligence. And they literally have a family of four people and they go to the field every day and they throw 250 Frisbees and then they come home and then they teach their dog to go out and get the paper and do all these things. And the dog is still like, yeah, I I could still do more. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, we really have to keep that in mind. And if you really have your heart set on a border collie, as long as you're going in with your eyes open and you have a plan then I'm all for that. But I, I think it's just more important that more important that people have the the education and the knowledge of knowing what they're getting into because I think people need to manage their
0: expectations more. Um, um I I I agree. I agree. I love that. I just wanted um, you know, before we wrap up a little bit, I wanted you to, if you could talk a little bit about like the mixed breeds, like both the like intentional mixed breeds, like the Labradoodles and all of them. And, or if you're going for like a rescue dog where you might not know exactly what the, what the mix is. If you could talk about that for a second. Oh, and absolutely. Cause I don't want
1: anyone to think that this book is going breeders, rah, rah. It's all about breeders. It's all about, there's many different ways that a dog can come into your life there whether it be the shelter dog the rescue dog or the breeder education is an important part of any decision and there are good breeders there are bad breeders there are great rescues there are terrible rescues it's 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 based on the individual um place um that being said as far as mixed breeds of course a lot of people are getting the DNA done, the DNA test, which I find absolutely fascinating. I don't know, you know, I don't know what the research is and on how accurate it is, but I do find it fascinating and Mm -hmm. and hopefully helpful for people. Um, Maybe you're not going to know, but, you know, sometimes if you do a little um, research beforehand and, you know, as far as at least sizing and, and, and such, people at the rescue hopefully can give you some clue Um, even if we can't talk specific breeds, maybe we can talk breed group, like which we just did. Um, and yes, and you can have the super mutt that has, you know, different components, but sometimes even with the DNA, there's a higher percentage of something. Just because a breed is mixed doesn't mean necessarily that all of those breeds are muted. They're in there and they may come out at any point in any particular way. So I think it is helpful. You might just have to do a little more research because you kind of have to know more than one group grouping. Okay. But it's going to work the same way. Um, a friend of mine just showed me a picture and he's like, Oh, I'm getting this puppy and this is the DNA he's had it done already. Cause the rescue did it. And uh, this dog had um, Australian shepherd, great Pyrenees uh, boxer Siberian Husky. And I'm like, okay, so for me, I would go, okay, there's three of those in the top four that are working dogs. So let me look heavily at the working dog group, but I'm also going to look at the herding. And let me just be prepared. And then it's going to be a get to know you time. Let's see what comes out. Mm-hmm. And that's the same with any dog. Even if it was a purebred dog, I've, I'm on my second Cocker Spaniel. And yes, they, you know, my first one you know, was more of the hunter. So it had that kind of personality. This one is not so. Even within a breed, there are differences. But at least 100%. if you know, right? At least if you know the breeding, yeah. it gives you a, it gives you a starting point. You just need a, some type of starting point, and then it's a get to know you with your own dog. Because ultimately, you have the breed, but then you have the individual dog, and that dog is going to have its own characteristics. So. I, you know, I say this with clients, you probably do too, especially ones when you go for the puppy and the puppy's eight weeks old. I'm like, you're in the get to know you phase. Okay. This dog is going to change in so many different ways. So yeah. let say, you know, with the doodle phenomenon. Okay. We know we got poodle. So let's look at the poodle. Okay, let's look at the poodle components and then let's also and then look at whether it's a golden retriever, what is what is the other breed in the doodle? That one's almost a little bit easier because that's not a mix, that's more like a crossbred so you're just you're dealing with two breeds one of them being poodle. Okay? Right. So I'm going to I'm going to look at that, but again, I'm going to look at the individual uh, what, you know, what motivates your dog? What character what does your dog enjoy to, you know, enjoy doing? It's almost like being on a on a a, a dating match, match site. Right. It's yeah. like, all right, I'm going to put these characteristics down and I'm going to put, okay, this is in general, but okay. When I meet that person, what do we have in common? What do you really like to do? Right. right. Cause to me, right. Like you probably go out and I go out, you know, I train a lot with food with positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at it as like, okay, hey, well, you know, I go to work, I get a paycheck. This is your dog's paycheck, but I want to motivate your dog what motivates your dog? And, and a lot of people go, I have no idea. Okay. Whether it's food, what kind of food? Is it play? What do they like to play? Because I need to find something that's going to inspire them and motivate them. And, and I can go to one house. I can go to one house with a series of freeze-dried liver and hot dogs. And the dog looks at me going, mm, don't like that. Not going to work for that. So- <laughs> Right. So it's like, I can start with the breed, which is like important because I think if you can go there first, but
0: then you have to know your individual dog as well. Right. Right. You know, and I think at the, at the end of the day, like, even if you don't know, like I never did the DNA test for my dogs. I came close multiple times, just out of curiosity, but you know, and like you said, like, even once, you know, there's, you know, um, different personalities within different breeds, you know, at the end of the day, it's, To understand that, you know, this dog is a living, breathing being that has its own wants, needs, likes, dislikes, and to try to work with them instead of against them sometimes. And I like, I really like what you said before, where it's like your dog isn't giving you a hard time because, you know, they're trying to give you a hard time. They could just be having a hard time because they're trying to figure out how to live in your world. Oh, absolutely. I
1: mean, it's funny, my dog, you know, and you would think, okay, we do this for a living and we're always the ones that have the dogs that have issues. Um, yeah. because again, <laughs> we're their own beings. Like he didn't go, oh yeah, my mom's a dog trainer. So, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm perfectly fine. It's no, he's his
0: own being. Right. So,
1: you know, I joke I can t- all the
0: time that I'm like, if you guys met my dogs, you'd be like, wait, you're a dog trainer. What? Right. <laughs> I always tell, I always tell my dog's
1: name is Bobby. I go, Bobby, you're bad for business sometimes. Right. But, <laughs> um, if somebody sees this, but I think it gives me, first of all, I think it gives me more, uh, I, it keeps me humble, it keeps me curious, and it makes me more empathetic to my clients, right? Don't you find mm-hmm. that? But I always like to say, I go, you know, my dog has a lot of skills. He's super intelligent. I love him, but he is a sentient being with a lot of feelings. Um, right. So, right. So you can do all this research, but you still have to train the dog in front of you, whether it or be with the dog in front of you. And it's an ongoing, relationship like anything else it is evolving always Mm -hmm. and if we can always remember like you said they're not have i mean we're not you know they're not giving us a hard time they're having a hard time and if we can just get curious about it and go okay i've looked at the breed okay these are the tendencies okay this is my dog these are his tendencies where is this behavior coming from how can I make this easier for him so he doesn't feel the need to do this behavior? Or can I satisfy, you know, a need that's not being met? It makes it a better relationship because I'm not looking like what's wrong with my dog, but I'm also not looking going, what's wrong with me? Where have I failed? Because doing this blame game back and forth is not helpful. I agree. Let, right. Let's just get curious and say, okay, where, where, where is, where are you lacking? Where, what's lacking in this relationship? How can we manage it in a different way where I can fulfill that need and we can come to an understanding? And it's an ongoing process
0: always. That is definitely true. Especially when you have the younger dogs, adolescents, you know, oh boy, into yes. adulthood. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, this was really this was amazing. I thank you so much for all the wonderful information and like little nuggets that um, you gave us. So, if my listeners wanted to learn more about you or get your book, um, because the book goes into a lot more detail into the specific breeds, yes. and um, like you said, it says for kids, and I read it and I just thought it was just like so like simply laid out, and it made for like Really fun reading. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, so I, you know, I'm just like, so I could see why this is great for kids, but also for adults. You know, just because it was just the simplicity of it and and the fun little facts that were all through it. Um, so yeah, so if they wanted to get a hold of you um, and get your book or just talk to you, um, how would they do that? Oh, sure. So they could go on my Facebook page. And right now
1: I'm in the process of trying to do a trainer page. But for now, they can go on my personal page, um, which is just my name, um, Christine Roloff. Okay. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. They can also um, go on Amazon if they're interested in getting the book. Um, It's on Amazon. It's on Target. And it's on Barnes & Noble's websites. And just Google in either my name or Dog Breed Guide for Kids. And it will come up and um yeah i guess that's the best way to get me very simple
0: okay um i'll also link to these in the show notes so right. um i'll link to your book on amazon and um your facebook page if that's that okay with you perfect all right awesome well again thank you so much and i'm sure i mean we're both in north jersey and i agree with so much of what you said i definitely think that we should do something like this again I would love to. This has been so much fun. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll talk to you later. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. So I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. We had a lot of fun. So as promised, I'm going to put the links that were mentioned inside the show notes and you can find those at playtimepause.com forward slash episode 73. So I'm going to link to her Facebook page and also her book, in case you want to learn more from Christine. And that is all I have for you today. If you are enjoying this podcast, you can rate and review it wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to continue training with me, I have both in-person and online programs, which you can find on my website, playtimepause.com. You can check out my brand new program, Playtime Pause Academy. We have weekly live Q&As with me where we talk about issues from potty training to barking. It also includes my brand new enrichment database where I have a whole bunch of activities and ideas for things to do with your dog to keep them busy, keep burning that energy. And they're even sorted by category so you can search for games or food enrichment or even learn a couple new tricks. You can check all of that out at playtimepause.com forward slash academy. Thank you so much for listening. I'll speak with you soon. Bye for now.